Ephesians chapter 5, kind of switching up the, the order just a little bit. We're going to sing a little bit more at the end of the morning today as we do communion. So Ephesians chapter 5 um, is where we're going to be. Um, it, it really, it, it cracks me up to stand before, this, we're basically 11 months into Stonegate Church right now, and so it, it, I laugh every Sunday morning when, when I stand up here because I can't believe all of you are here, right? And so, and to think that, that a year ago right now, we were um, about 35 or 40 of us in a living room, literally in a living room, and we're praying and pleading with God on behalf of Stonegate. Um, we're, we're in a home and, and we're just begging God that he would do something special with this group of people in this area for his name, ultimately for his glory and, and the good of this area. Um, so, so we're praying with God for that. Um, daddies, you, you might can relate to this and parents in general. You, you remember that time that, that they handed that little kid to you in the delivery room, right? I mean, it, they didn't really come with an instruction manual, but they just handed that little guy to you, right? And so now, now in that moment, when you looked at that little baby, you, you were filled with such hope for that kid. You were filled with so many dreams and good ambitions for that kid. And now, now you take like the delivery room out of the equation. That's what we felt like a year ago, right? Like we've got this little newborn baby called a church and we're just praying that, that God would do something amazing through um, this group of people that he's going to bring to it. Okay, now I want all the men to look at me up here. For the men in the room, almost everything we prayed for God to do, that we pleaded with God to accomplish, is riding on God making good, solid, biblical men at Stonegate Church. In our membership class, this is, this is the first night, one of the things we cover are our distinctives. And here, here are a couple of comments that we make under our distinctives. Our first distinctive is that everything is about Jesus. So Jesus is our chief shepherd. He is our lead pastor here. Um, our second comment is that everything begins in the family. We, we place a huge amount of emphasis on the family. And, and here's why we do that. There's a reason for that. There's a theological reason why we do that. And the reason is... Our church is only as strong as, fill in that blank right there. Our church is only as strong as our individual families are. So, so if you want to see the strength of, of this church, how solid of a church this is, then sample 10 families. T take 10 families out to dinner and just start asking questions. And that's, that's the strength of our church right there. Okay, now, now for the men, we, we drive this down one step further and we say this. That our families are only as strong as the men who God has called to lead and to love and lay down their life for the sake of their families. Our families are only as strong as the men that God has given the responsibility to love and care for those families. So, so I, I want to just preface this whole morning with there is so much at stake with the content of this message I mean, there is so much at stake with what we're, what we're saying here that, that we're pleading with God. And we're kind of going to walk in the pattern of this this morning as we walk through this text. But we're pleading with God to make in this place good, strong, solid, biblical man for, for his name's sake, for the sake of our church, and ultimately for the sake of your family, that he would do that for us. Okay, now with that said, I, I want to take a, a quick thing and, and preface this to the, to the guys real quick. Um, guys in here. Um, I, I know that this is going to sting a little bit. And when we hear this, there's going to be a tendency for you to throw up your hands and think, that is so overwhelming. How could I ever be that? 
Okay, so I, I want to just give you hope on, on the front end of this. It is, don't go there. Take a step today, right? I mean, find something and take a step toward it. So, so in the middle of it stinging, here's going to be the thing I'm praying for you, is that God would get your heart to a point of repentance. He would make these things look beautiful to you and that you would run to God. These things would make you crawl on your knees to God as you try to tremble and, and try to get a sense of, of what this means for your life. To the ladies in here, I am so glad you are a part of Stonegate Church to our ladies. And I don't think there's a better place for your man to be. And here's my promise to the ladies in the room, specifically if you're married in here, that we will love your husband enough to love him right where he is. I know your husband has a lot of imperfections. You know that too, right? So, so, so we'll love him right where he is. But I want all the ladies to look at me here. But here's my promise to the ladies at Stonegate, is that we will love him enough to not let him stay where he is. Um, I, I feel like it's one of the callings on our, my life specifically, in our church um, specifically, to press men, and I, we'll just say males, we'll, we'll just use that term, to press males into becoming good, solid, biblical men. And so, so ladies, I want you to know that I'm really thankful for you. Now, now, this is the promise you need to make back to me. You need to make the promise back to me that on the way home today, you, you don't pull out your top 10 list of things that you learned today, Right? And it just so happens to be that every one of those things that you learned is directed at your husband, right? Okay, if, if you do that, you will sabotage what you want most in your husband. Okay, you'll sabotage that. You're going to work against what you want God to work for in your husband. So, so don't go there. Give room for the Holy Spirit. Pray for your husband consistently, daily. Like right now, pray for him. That, that God would press on him to become these things that we're talking about. Okay, so we're starting in Ephesians chapter 5, but let me just start in verse 32, uh, and this has kind of been our starting point for, for every one of these talks that we've done on marriage, that ultimately verse 32 raises marriage to a very sacred position. Verse 32 raises marriage, and it's saying this about marriage, that marriage is a gospel display, that it's a metaphor meant to display the gospel. That is what your marriage is for. Marriage is a temporary arrangement given to you primarily, first and foremost, for you to display to the world Christ's covenant love to the church. And here's the other end of that. And to display to the world the church's response to a satisfying Savior. That is what marriage is intended to be. It's a temporary arrangement. It's not a forever deal. It's not an eternal deal. It's meant to point to an eternal reality, the gospel. So, so marriage is a metaphor. It's a gospel displaying thing. That's marriage. Okay, now let's take it a step further. Wives, you are the, the church portraying figure. In, in marriage, you get to show to the world how the church responds to Jesus. This is your role in your marriage. You've got the, the opportunity, the unique privilege of showing the world how the church responds to Jesus in the way you lovingly follow and willingly follow the leadership of the one that God has placed in authority over you. Wives, this is your role. This is your role in marriage. To the men, here's your piece of this. On the other end of this, you get the unique privilege of showing and displaying Christ to the world. This is your unique men. This is your unique privilege. God has entrusted that gift to you. You get the chance in your marriage to demonstrate in how you love and lay your life down for your wife. You get a chance to show the world this is how God treats his people. This is how God loves his people. 
This is how God pursues his people, initiates with his people. You get a chance to show Jesus to the world in your marriage. Okay, now in this passage, and we've talked about the ladies' part in this, now it's to the men. We're going to start in the same place, verse 22. And I want you to, to start out reading this with me here, verse 22. How does this look for the, for the husbands to portray Christ to the world? Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now see, this is where the men start to kind of amen, right? And, and see, if they have a high IQ, they do it silently, right? If they've got a low IQ, if their IQ's under 10, they go public with that. Okay, so, so wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I want you men to underline the next nine words in your Bible. Verse 23, this should make you tremble when you read it. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. Men, here's what that means. Husbands. You are the head of your wife. And before you amen to submission, you need to know what submission means for you. Submission for you means that, that you're the head. Submit, if they're submitting to you, here's what that means for you, men, that you're responsible for them, that you're held accountable for them, that God is looking at the man in the home and saying, you're the head. You're, you're accountable. You're the person in authority here. It should make us tremble under the weight and responsibility of that. See, everyone loves leadership until they feel the responsibility of it, right? And men, if you don't feel the responsibility of what God has called you to be, you're, you're not seeing the Bible yet. God has called you to walk as the head of your home, as the authority, as the one he will ask the questions to, as the one he will come to, as the one he'll hold accountable for it, responsible for it. This is your God-given role, men, husbands in the room. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to try to take this under the same sort of outline we used last week. So I want to try to build the context. We're going to go back to Genesis and build the context for it, clarify what it means, and then I want to commend it to our men. So we're going to start with the context. Ephesians 5, 31, you see that verse? That's a quote of Genesis 2. So Ephesians 5, 531 links us back to Genesis 2. It's rooted. So this is what we've continually said about headship and submission is that they're not rooted in culture. They are not cultural ideas. They're not man's ideas. These are God's ideas. They're rooted in creation. So this is a direct link back to Genesis 2. So here's what we've said. That God designed submission last week, headship this week. That God designed these things. These are not culture's ideas. They are God's ideas. They are his plan, his design. So we've walked through this story a couple of times. I'm going to do it one more time this morning, and we're going to get to an interesting point in it. Okay, so Genesis 2, God creates Adam. He creates the man first, right? Biblically, that's an important idea. He creates the man first, and he gives him a job to do. You're to work and keep the garden. That's your job. Men, work is not a part of the curse. It's just been affected by the curse. You're meant to be builders, cultivators. That is what God created you to be and to do, right? So he, he gives um, Adam a command. You do that, and he gives him a prohibition. You don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You stay away from that. You can have everything else. Just stay away from the one tree, right? Okay, now in Genesis 2, 16, 17, 18, right in through there, God's going to look at Adam and he's going to say, I, I see a problem here. This, this isn't good. You're alone. 
So, so we need to do something about this. So here's what I'm going to do. God's act in this is I'm going to create a helper fit for you. It doesn't mean she's helpless. She's a helper fit for Adam. Okay, so we've talked about this. God gets Adam in a sleeper hole. He breaks off a rib. He fashions the woman. And, and here's been the point that I, I've tried to pound in on this, is that the woman was created from Adam and for Adam. That is not a demeaning thing. That is a gospel displaying thing. That is God's design for you, ladies. And if you want to walk out from under that, you're robbing yourself. Okay, so this is a good thing for you. So, So headship, submission, this is God's idea. This is his design. Now here's the second statement in that, is that sin and man, we, we've distorted that. Men and women have distorted this submission. So if you play the story out, here's how the story goes from um, God wakes the man up, he walks Eve down the aisle, he presents the first bride to the first groom. The first marriage. God turns around and he officiates as the lead pastor their marriage. And they become one flesh. It's one man, one woman, one life, one flesh, marriage. It all goes well for about a day, right? Now you get to Genesis chapter 3. The serpent shows up. The serpent deceives Eve. Okay, she eats the fruit. She usurps her husband's authority. She eats the fruit. Now men, listen to this. Adam was not on a vacation. Adam was not working in the office. Adam was not out mowing the lawn. Adam was passively watching in the shadows. He he was passively watching in the shadows as his wife rebels against God. Not leading, passively watching. And to top that off, he joins in the rebellion, eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for the first time, they realize that now we are no longer good, but we are evil. And from there on, you have got this clash of headship and submission. I mean, you've got this clash. And so you start reading this forward. Now, I want you to notice this, men. When God comes knocking on the door for Adam and Eve, look at Genesis 3, 9. When God comes knocking on the door, Eve ate the fruit first, right? I mean, that's where this started. She ate the fruit, but, but who does God come asking for? Genesis 3, 9. He, he doesn't come asking for Eve. He comes asking for the man in the house. Now, man, I think we need to, to listen to this. When God comes knocking, he does not go for Eve who rebelled first. He goes for the man who is the head of the house. That's who he goes for. So men, listen to me. When God comes knocking at your door for your family, for your wife, for your marriage, for your kids, he's not going to call, not going to knock on the door and say, where's the wife? The wife will answer for hers, but not as the head. He's not going to ask for the wife. He's not going to ask for your kid. He's not going to ask for the dog. He's going to ask, where is the man? Genesis 3, 9, he looks around and here's his question. Adam, where are you? Men, this is our question for today. Where are you? Where are you? And can we just make this statement that in our culture and in the church, men are absent? I mean, they're absent. Okay, now you get this foreshadowed right off the cuff in Genesis chapter 3. You look down in verse 16. And, and as God is cursing Eve, she's held responsible, just not as the head. As she is getting hers in this deal, right? 
Um, God looks at her and says, here's going to be your problem. Your desire is going to be for your husband. That desire is not that she can't live without him. It's going to be that she has a hard time living under him. She wants to rule over, master him. And then here's the man's side of this. He looks at the man and says, listen, here's your part. He's going to rule over you. So you've got right off the beginning, headship and submission take a sinful turn, and now it is played out on a, a bloody battlefield, right? I mean, you probably know this. You've seen this. Okay, so in men, here's the foreshadowing of how um, headship works itself out. Here's the effect of, of the sinful curse, the sinful tendencies in men. Typically, sin moves men in one of two directions when it relates to headship. The, the first one is dominance. Okay, so, so this man, he, he is the, the head of the home, right? And, and head means dictator. Men, headship does not mean dictatorship. It does not mean that. You are not to rule like a legalistic tyrant in your home. That is not the biblical picture of how Christ rules his people. That is not it. It is more of a responsibility to bear than a right to rule. Men, these men, these dominant men, they're jerks, right? No one likes to be around them. Their friends don't like them and their wife doesn't like them, right? I mean, th these are the sort of men that would raise their hand against a woman. These are the sort of men that would raise their voice at their ladies. These are the sort of men that always have to win every argument. These are the sort of men that can't be wrong. These are the sort of men that will browbeat their wives if it goes that way, right? These are the sort of men that they can cut right through their wife with just a look. These are the sort of men that bully their wives. These are the sort of men that intimidate their wives. Men in the room, God did not make you a sovereign head of your home. A sovereign God appointed you as a Christ portraying head in your home. Dominance does not portray Christ. And if this is you, if everybody in your home walks on eggshells around you, I mean, if you've got the intimidating personality, if, you, if that's you, man, I, can I just plead with you to repent of that? You're dishonoring Christ and how you're portraying his love for the bride. And here's the other end of how the sinful tendency works, indifference. So, so this is the guy who everybody loves this guy, right? I mean, this, this guy's a good guy. Everybody loves him. This is the guy that will even come to church. He can stomach sermons. He just doesn't have a whole lot of attention, uh, intention of being changed by them. This is the guy that will even carry his Bible in, although he doesn't know his Bible and doesn't teach his family his Bible, right? This is the guy that, that indirectly, um, he's going to say that, that listen, my, my primary job that God has given me and my family is to earn a paycheck. This is my primary job. So when I get home, I'll completely disengage. When I get home, I need my space. When I get home, I, everybody needs to clear out. I need the TV. When I get home, I, I need to get this sort of thing working in me. I need to distance myself from everyone and disconnect from everything, right? I mean, this is the guy that, that even subconsciously is going to look at the church and say, it's your job. I mean, it's your job to make sure my family knows the gospel. It's your job to make sure my family knows the Bible. It's your job to make sure my kids know Jesus. It's your job to do all of that. Th th these are the guys that are going to say, um, it's not my role to jump in there. I mean, I've done my deal. I I've kind of gotten the paycheck. I I've provided in that way. So I've done the thing. Listen, that is sinful indifference. So let me just be clear on this. God's first question for your family is not coming to your church. 
It is coming to the head of the home. And men, as head in your homes, it is your responsibility to teach your kids the things of God. It's your responsibility to make sure they know Jesus. It's your responsibility to make sure they know the gospel. That is the man's responsibility, not the church's. Okay, so let's be clear on this one too. Guys, it is not just your primary job to get a paycheck. That is a piece of your job, but it is not the primary or the most important part of your job. When you walk in your house at five o'clock, shift two begins. And shift two is the most important shift for a man. Y'all know what shift two is? It's when you walk in the door Kids are going crazy. They're screaming for daddy, right? I mean, your wife is tied up and left for dead in the closet. (laughs) And all you want to do is do nothing in that moment, right? Men, your primary job in your life is shift to. To engage with your family, to communicate with your wife, to engage with your kids, to teach your kids, to gather your family and have family devotions, to make sure your kids know and understand the scriptures. That is your job as a man. You cannot delegate that. You cannot push that on this. That is your responsibility. So when we're passive, when we're indifferent to God's primary callings on our life. And listen, these guys are good guys. Let me even make this statement. Every church I've ever been a part of, these are the men that have filled the church. These guys, good guys, just totally indifferent to the primary calling of God on their life. So men, when, we, when we're passive, when we're indifferent in the home, we are following after our first parent, Adam. I mean, we are following in the wake of his passive watching of his wife rebel. God's calling on your life is engagement. Okay, so let's just clearly make this this statement here. That our churches and our culture, the the, the men are missing. When God says, where are you? They are nowhere to be found. They are nowhere to be found. Men, our hopes for this church, what God wants to do through this church, it is dependent upon you grabbing the gospel and becoming the sort of man that God would have you be. And see, man, I, I, I really, I, I would place a lot of the blame on the church because here's what the church has done for so long is we've affirmed that boys are men and boys aren't men yet. I mean, there's a massive difference between those two. Here's the progression of how manhood works. We start as a male. Now, now if you're a male in here, you didn't, you didn't do anything to deserve that, right? You just kind of came out and that's what you are, right? I mean, that's just a, a picture of anatomy. Okay, so, so if males mature and develop, they become boys, but boys are not men yet. They, they don't want the responsibility, uh, responsibility that a man has. They want to remain a boy. Now, okay, now here's the problem, though, is the church has affirmed that the boys are men, and boys even think they're men. Just ask the 17-year-old that's sleeping around with his girlfriend. He thinks he's a man, but here's what he's really doing. He is taking everything from his girl and refusing the responsibility of her soul. Or ask the 35-year-old who's married and has kids but still has a girlfriend, right? Right? I mean, that is a teenager trapped in a 35-year-old body. That is not a man. That is still a boy who thinks he's a man. 
Men, here's what men do. They move out of boyhood and they take the responsibility of caring for the souls of others. That's what men do in the home. Okay, now now men in here, I want to make sure this thing has hope for you. I mean, this is about to get overwhelming for all of us. And I'll tell you this right now, I'm not preaching from perfection here. I am a fellow traveler with you on this road. But I want to leave you with hope here. And Genesis 3, I think, gives us the the glimpse of this. Um, Okay, so so God is cursing the man, the woman. He starts with Satan in Genesis 3.15. And you get the first glimpse of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, where where God says there's going to be one come out of that woman that you just deceived. He is going to crush your head one day. He's going to bruise your head. It's the first glimpse of the gospel. And here's what men in the room can know. The gospel redeems headship. The gospel makes it possible because there has been one. His name is Jesus. He has come and he has died on the cross in your stead, in your place for your sin. And because he has died on the cross for your sin, he has covered all your past failures. And men, we have them in this regard. And here's the the future looking aspect of that. Not only has he covered your past failure, but he energizes and empowers change for your future. I mean, this is the gospel that that on the cross, God treats Jesus like he was you. He gets the sin. And because of the cross, God treats you like you're Jesus. Because of that, headship is redeemed. Men, we can actively live in this role that God has called us to live in. The gospel redeems headship. Okay, let's clarify. What what does headship mean? Here's the idea. I'm going to define it for you. It's going to be on the screen. Biblical headship means this. It's the husband's divine calling to take primary responsibility to love as Christ loves. It's a divine calling. Okay, so men, this means that God has placed you in this role. He has given you to your family and he's given your family to you for you to be the head in your family. Okay, now if you look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 23, it says the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, to get you some Greek grammar, I'll kind of catch you up here what we covered the last couple of weeks. That's in the indicative mood. It's a statement of fact. It's not something that God's commanding that the man's even desiring. It is just a statement of fact. This is what the man is. It's like saying the room is cold, summer's hot, the Rangers are going to win the World Series. Statement of fact, right? (laughs) And we'll probably get our heart broke at some point soon. It's a statement of fact. God is saying, this is what you are. If you're a husband, this is your divine calling. God has made you this. So it's a divine calling to take primary responsibility. Divine calling primary responsibility. Now, that doesn't say sole responsibility, but men, look at me here. It means that ultimately you are responsible for everything in your home. Ultimately, men are responsible for their marriage, for their kids, for their finances, for their giving, for everything in the home. At the end of the day, God is going to ask this question to men. Men, Head of the home, where are you? That's your question to the man. It's a divine calling for the husband to take primary responsibility. And women, that word primary is important. That doesn't mean that he is solely responsible. Eve got her questions too, right? The man just gets the first one. So it's the husband's divine calling to take primary responsibility to love as Christ loves. 
If you want to know, like the, the repetitive word in this passage is love. Husbands, you're called to love your wives. This is what you're called to do. Love means that, that you are out for the benefit of another, that you give your life for the benefit of others. This is what it means. So in the context of marriage as head, it means that you are to give your life. This is your divine calling, primary responsibility. Men, is to give your life for the good of your wife. That is your calling. This is what a biblical man does. This is what he is. Okay, now, now Paul gives two illustrations to help kind of clarify what headship means. And the first one, he uses Christ. He's going to say in verse 25 that you're to love your, your wives how? As Christ loves the church. Men, this is how you're called to love your wives. Does that feel overwhelming? I mean, it does to me, right? I mean, does that feel like it's impossible? It, it, it feels that way to me. Men, headship should be one of the primary things in your life that drive you to the cross. Headship should be that. It should be one of the primary things in your life that move you toward Jesus, that make you gospel dependent, Christ dependent. I mean, it's an overwhelming responsibility to love like Jesus, God, God in the flesh, per to love that way. So I want to run through four words that kind of describe how he loved, and we'll draw out some implications of this for manhood and what it means to be a head. Number one, when you think about how Christ has loved the church, here would be one thing you probably want to note, is he initiated. Christ initiates. So, and I want to go back to Ephesians chapter one and kind of bring in the context here. In Ephesians chapter one, verse three, um, Paul says this, that we're blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse four says this, in love, like this, this Christ, he, he has chosen us, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is God's initiating love for you, that he would choose you, that he would set his affection on you, that he would look at you and say, I am pursuing that one. And this is the remarkable thing about the gospel. Men, listen to this. This is the remarkable thing about the gospel, is it's not because you were lovable, I mean, Christ didn't look at you and say, well, you know what, I think that one deserves it. I mean, I think that one's really got what it takes. He didn't do that. He looked at you and thought, unlovable. And yet Christ pursued you. He initiated with you. He adopted you, made you a part of the family. So men, here's what this means for headship. Headship means we take the primary responsibility to initiate. Men, you are to be the initiators. It's not just you're responsible for everything, but you are responsible to initiate everything. This is your divine calling as a man, to be the initiator in your house. I love how, how one person put it. He said this, headship means that you have the responsibility to initiate movement. Listen to this, men. You have the responsibility to initiate movement toward everything God wants for your home. You have the, you have the responsibility to initiate. This is what God wants, so these are the steps we're gonna take. You have the responsibility to initiate everything God wants for your home, to move in that direction, and you have the, the responsibility to initiate movement away from everything God does not want from your home and for your home. This is what it means to be 
ahead of your home that you initiate. I like how one pastor, John Piper, he, he said this when he was asked kind of to give some more description on headship. A guy asked him basically, well, what does headship mean? What does that look like in the house? And he said, it means saying let's really often. So men, here's what this means for you. It means that you initiate, that you're the one that says, let's pray. You're the one that says, let's give. You're the one that says, let's go to church. You're the one that says, let's read the Bible. You're the one that says, let's gather the kids and have a family devotion. You're the one that says all of these things. You are the one that says, let's the most often. This is your calling. You initiate. Everything that happens in the home is your responsibility and you've got the direct calling on your life to initiate these things. And men, look at me on this one. This means that you have the responsibility to initiate reconciliation when it's needed. When you and your wife, you and your kids blow up in your home, which is probably going to happen at least once, right? Men, it is your responsibility to initiate reconciliation. It's your responsibility to go to your wife first. Ladies, that does not get you off the hook here. So I don't want you to hear you saying that. I'm talking to men here. This is your responsibility to initiate that. Men, if there are problems in your marriage right now and you know it, it is your responsibility to initiate help, to go after help, to not bury your head in the sand, but to get help. That's your responsibility to initiate. That is your job. Okay, now here's the other piece of initiation, is that it's not dependent upon your wife. I mean, if you just read through this passage, I mean, ask yourself the question, where do I see anything in here that's dependent upon her? I mean, where do I see that, um, like this exception list that, okay, so you love as Christ loved the church as long as she's a perfect wife, right? You don't see that in there. There are no exception clauses, men. You may have a difficult woman. You very well may. She may be a hard woman. Your family may not like her, her family may not like her. Her friends may not like her, your friends may not like her. But men, you had the responsibility to initiate regardless of her. Whether or not she is lovable, that has no bearing on your initiation. Now men, think about this. Jesus did not look at you and make you deserve his initiation. That's the gospel. He did not look at you and say you're lovely. No, you were unlovable. That is the gospel that God chooses you, initiates when you are unlovable. And men, you display the gospel when you initiate even when your wife is unlovable. So men in here, I, I wanna encourage men that are in difficult marriages right now. If you've got a difficult lady, I mean an unlovable lady right now, Men, this is your greatest chance to clearly portray the initiating love of Jesus. This is your chance. It will never be seen more clearly than when she's unlovable. Never. So, so Christ initiates. Here, here's the next thing Christ does. Christ gives. Look at um, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You might circle the, or underline those words, gave himself that's what Christ did. He gave himself. I mean, this is what Christ does. I, I love 2 Corinthians um, 8, 9, where it says this about Christ. That it's talking to the people in Corinth, and he's saying, you know the grace of Jesus. You know this grace, that this Jesus was rich. He was in heaven. He is God. This is Jesus. He was rich, and he made himself poor. 
He left the beauty of heaven for the confines of earth. He strapped on human flesh. He lived among us. And eventually the creator, God, God in the flesh, crawled upon a cross for your sake. He was rich. He made himself poor. And this is how that verse ends. So that you who were poor had nothing. Nothing to offer. So that you who were poor might become rich. This is the gospel. So that you who were poor had nothing, might have everything you need to live with and die with. Christ spared no expense, was not afraid to go to any place. Christ gave men, look at me here. Headship means you sacrificially give in your home. Let me just ask you this question. Would your wife say you're a giver in the home? If not, you're not a good head right now. Would they say you're a sacrificial giver? That you are out for the benefit of your family? Would they say that? That this is what being a head means? Okay, now it means we give several things. It means we give protection. Men, you are called to give protection for your family. First, this is the spiritual reality that you pray for your family, that you protect your, your family from sin and Satan and folly, that you protect your family. Phys or spiritually. It, it also has this physical dimension to it, right? That you are called to be the protector of your family physically. If a guy breaks in your door tonight, you don't kind of tap on the wife and say, hey, I think I heard somebody break in. Will you go check on that? I'll be in the closet. <laughs> That's not how it works, right? Men are the first one up. Men are the last ones off of a sinking ship and the first ones into a burning building. I love how one pastor said that, right? This is the calling of a man. You are to protect your lady. Um, so I, I told this to the guys on Tuesday night here recently. They all kind of laughed at me. But I wanted Laura to know that I, I, I really, like, I, I take this seriously. I, I would protect her. I would willingly give my life for her. So I, I walked in one night and I just, out of the blue, she's sitting there playing with the kids. I walked in and I said, Laura, I want you to know that I'd die for you. I kind of got that awkward look back, right? <laughs> and, and as soon as she kind of got past the awkwardness of it, she said, you know what? I know that. Men, your wives should know that you will die for them. Headship is not um, a, a right to dominate. It's a responsibility to die daily, and if need be, once and for all, for your wife. This is what it means to be head. We're to, we're to give protection. We're to give provision. You're to give spiritual provision for your wife for your family. Men, here's what that means. That you are to be the primary initiator of spiritual things in your family. It doesn't mean you are the only one. It doesn't mean you solely do that. It doesn't mean that everything has to come from your lips. It doesn't mean that. But it means that everything comes from your leadership in the home. This is your responsibility to provide spiritually for your family. And there's also a physical piece of that, that men should feel the weight of the responsibility to make sure the basic necessities for their family is met. That should be on a man's shoulder to feel the weight of that. It doesn't mean, and you can work out the details of how you're going to do that, but the man should feel the weight of that responsibility, not solely, but primarily. This is what it means to give to your wife, to your family. Headship means giving. Okay, next one. Number three, Christ is purposeful. The way he loves his bride, it's got a purpose to it. Look at verse 26. 
And this is a beautiful verse here. Look at this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. And, and underline that word sanctify. He might sanctify her, having cleansed her. You might underline that word cleansed. He cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Th- this is what I love uh, about Jesus. He, he loves you enough not only to marry you, but to make you Christ-like. You know that? He loves you enough to make you Christ-like. Not just to bring you in, but now to fashion and form you. These are the words of Ephesians, to sanctify you, to make you look like Jesus, to sanctify you and to cleanse you, to wipe the dirt off of us, right? So this sinful taint and stains that we have, to wipe all of that off of us and to cleanse us. This is what Christ does. This is the gospel to you. And men, you are to reflect the gospel. You're to reflect that love. So here's what that means, men. Men, the way you love your wife should cause her to be Christ-like. Men, the way you love your wife should give her a more accurate understanding of the gospel. Men, that means that, that your, gospel, or your wife ought to say something like this at some point. And she may not verbally express this, but this ought to be her heart. Is I thought I knew the gospel until I watched my husband sacrificially give to me. Until I watched him flesh this out, live it, display it in front of me. This is, the, this is the husband's calling to make sure you have, listen, how about this one, husbands? This means that you have a plan and that you are praying for the Christ-likeness of your wife. Men, are you praying that your wife would become Christ-like? Do you have a plan for God to use you to help her be that? This is what it means to be ahead of your home. You're responsible for this. Okay, men, it also means that you set the pace for the love of God in your house. Men, you set the pace. You're the pace setters. For the love of God in your house, it will not rise above you. You will be the lid to the love of God in your house. It will reflect. The love of God in your house is going to reflect that man, you. So, so husbands, are you setting the pace here? And listen, that does not mean that you have to know every Bible story. It doesn't mean that you even have to know your Bible great right now. It means this, that no one in your house is as serious about Jesus. No one in your house is loving Jesus with the intensity that you are. No one is pursuing Jesus with the intensity that you are. You are the pace setter for the love of God in your house. This is what it means to be a biblical man. Men, it means that you set the pace for the hatred of sin in your house. Men, this is what it, it means. Headship means that, that you hate what God hates and you love what God loves. And you set the pace for that. Men, that means that, that you monitor what comes into the TV. It means you monitor what comes through the, the, the computer. It means you monitor necklines in your house. This is what good heads do. They set the pace for love of God and hatred of sin. There's a purpose in this. Men, you are to cause your wife to be Christ-like. This is what it means to be a good head like Jesus. And the last one, number four. Being a good head like Christ, Christ perseveres. Look at verse 27 here. Ephesians 5, 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. The gospel. Look at me here. Here's the gospel. God loves you enough to marry you, but then God also loves you enough to make you Christ-like. 
And then one day, Christ will take his beautiful bride, you, and he will present you to himself. That's the gospel. Okay, now, now I want you to think about this with me. I mean, you, you know yourself. I mean, I know me. And I know that if I were God, I would kill me, right? And so just think about the patience it requires on behalf of God to walk beside you. Just think about that. The persevering nature of God to walk beside you. I'll never forget one time when Laura and I were dating. Um, I was really, fr- I, can't, I don't, can't remember what it was, but I was really frustrated at her. And I was just kind of doing the vent thing to one of my good friends. And I basically said, I just can't believe she's on that page. I mean, this is clearly the page she needs to be on. This is my page, right? She needs to be on that page. Not, and he looks back at me and says, um, I wonder if God feels about you, that, you know, like that periodically. Like that was one of those like daggers in the heart, right? Thanks, appreciate that. Thanks for going along with me. Thanks for letting me wallow in my pity for a second. And can you just imagine the patience it requires, the perseverance on God's part to walk beside us as he makes us into a lovely bride that he will one day present to himself? Can you imagine that this persevering nature of God that when you stumble for the 100th time, patiently picks you up, patiently serves you, patiently just walks beside, speaks to you? Men, to be ahead in your home means that you persevere regardless in love for your wife. Now, man, I, I want to have just a real quick 30-second straightforward conversation here. Your wife needs to know, and if she doesn't, she needs to know this tonight. She needs to know that her husband will not, could not, not even in the realm of possibility not, he will not walk out on her. She needs to know that. And if you don't communicate that to her, you need to. That you are going to be a Christ-like head. And just like Christ has persevered with you, you're going to persevere with her regardless. So husbands, if they don't know that, make sure they do tonight. Okay, we'll kind of wrap this up here. In 528, he gives kind of the second illustration here. And the second illustration, I think it's kind of interesting. He, he kind of goes to a, uh, an interesting perspective. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands, so it was love like Christ's love, and now it looks like this. In the same way, husbands, you should love their, your wife as, as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So, so the second illustration is essentially God saying, love your wives like you do yourself. This is what it means to be ahead. And when he says love here, he means that you care for your wife just like you would yourself. Men, if you're hungry, what are you going to do today? You're going to eat, right? I mean, if you're thirsty, what are you going to do? Drink, right? If you're bored, what are you going to do? Probably entertain yourself, right? I mean, you're going to take care of yourself. You didn't come to church naked this morning. You put clothes on because you care about yourself. Now, here's what he's saying. Look at 531. I want to tie this together and then we'll, we'll close it up here. In 531, here is what um, Paul's saying. That when you get married, a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, they become one flesh. So men, he's saying this. Just like you care about yourself, you ought to care about your wife. She is one flesh with you. She is you. So, so if you're going to feed yourself, feed your wife. I mean, it would be, we call people who don't care for themselves insane, right? I mean, if you were to walk in here naked this morning, we would 
probably call the police on you, right? Okay, this is what we call those people. If you're, men, if you lift your hand to hit your wife, it's insane. You're hitting yourself. If you bully your wife, you're bullying yourself. If you scream at her, you're screaming at yourself. You're one flesh. You're allies. You are in this together. And he's saying you should care for your wife. If she's afraid, you protect her. If she's overwhelmed, you assure her. If she's dry, you nourish her. This is what it means to be a man. Okay, I'll commend it to you. Three quick things. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper here. Three quick things. And and here's what I want, I hope the Holy Spirit will do as we finish. Is I hope the Holy Spirit will make these things desirable to you men. This is a good thing. This is what we need to be as men. So let me commend it with three statements. Number one, men, be good pastors in your home. Be good pastors. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul is laying out the qualifications for elders and deacons. And I think he does something really interesting. He's talking about pastoring. And he says this, one of the qualifications in verse four and five goes like this. If you want to be a pastor in the church, here's your first responsibility. Be a good pastor in your home. How you pastor in your home disqualifies you or qualifies you for how you pastor in the church. Men, look at me here. All the men, husbands, look at me. You are a pastor in your home. Do you see yourself that way? I mean, do you think like a pastor would think in your home? Do you live like a pastor would live in your home? You are a pastor. Be a great one. God has given you the gift of a family. Be a good pastor for them, right? I mean, this is your, this is one of your most precious roles and responsibilities in your life. Be a good pastor for your wife. Be a good pastor for your kids. Teach them the things of God. Model what it means to love Jesus and know the gospel. Teach them the gospel. Display it before them. Be good pastors. Number two, men, this is a gospel displaying ambition. Here is what worries me about our culture is there are a thousand different role models that that culture holds up, but very few of those role models are family people. I mean, just think about the the typical hero in most movies. He's got all this courage on the battlefield, but he's a coward at home. He's typically got three or four ladies on the side. This is the model. And you know what that's produced in our culture? It's produced men that are great in the workplace. I mean, they take the bull by the horns and take charge and get after it in the workplace. It produces men, you get them around a hobby and they are all about it. I mean, they're shooting 67s on the golf course, right? I mean, they're Phil Mickelson. And listen, men, I want you to think about this. At the end of the day, when you're 60 or 70, nobody's going to care if you shot a 67. Nobody's going to care about your business. Your legacy in your life, and you were made for legacy, your legacy in your life is going to revolve around your influence in and over your family. That's where it's going to be. This is a good gospel displaying ambition for your life. Run after it. Don't be deceived in our culture thinking that a thousand different things are what God wants from you when this is primary. And lastly, and we'll end with this. This is a gospel dependent ambition in your life. 
This is a gospel-dependent ambition. You cannot do this apart from the gospel. See, here's the tendency in all the men in here when you hear a sermon like this, is to say, well, you know what I need? I just need like a little more want, a little more willpower. Just get a resolve and do this, right? That is not the answer. The answer is not willpower. That will last you about two weeks. And then this conversation happens all over again. The answer is the gospel. Everything Christ demands from you, he has done for you. Everything that Christ is saying, do this, he is that. And men, listen to this. To the degree that you are connected into Christ, who is all of these things, to the degree that you are living there, you will live out these things in your home. The answer is the gospel. So here's why we wanted to end with communion today. And, and here's how we'll end the service. Um, we're going to sing a few songs, um, probably two or three, something like that. We're going to give you plenty of time to, to, to come up. You'll dip the bread in the juice, eat it. That's like the whole deal right there, right? And so the reason we wanted to end with this is I think it's just a, it's a gospel displaying moment here. Like it, it's us saying, men, it is you saying, I cannot do this apart from the gospel. I cannot do this apart from the cross. I cannot do this apart from what Christ has done for me. I can't. This is gospel. So, so when we take this bread, we are saying that Jesus, his body broken on the cross, that is the only way this will flesh itself out. That is the only way I can live in this. But when we take that juice, we are saying that his body spilled on the cross, that is the only way we can be this. That's it. Men, the answer is not willpower. The answer is these gospel realities exploding in your heart. That's the answer. And here's the beautiful thing about communion is the first step in communion is repentance. Men, it's us being able to get on our knees before God and say, God, I have failed in so many of these areas. Will you make me in to a good head? This is your chance to say that, to repent. Where you have fallen short, you get to claim the beautiful promise of the gospel that wipes your past clean and empowers a different future. And men, everything here is wrapped up into this, you being this. So I pray that God does it for us. Let's pray. As the band leads us in a few songs, we're just gonna give you the opportunity. You don't have to rush. We're gonna have a couple of songs today. And so you don't have to, to be in a big hurry, but as um, space up here clears out, you can come up, dip the bread in the juice and take communion. And, and this is what I wanna press the men on. Repent before you do it. Make a gospel resolve, right? Ladies, this is a beautiful opportunity for you where, where you have walked out of following and joyfully um, and willingly following the leadership of the one God has placed in authority over your husband. This is a great time for you to fall before Jesus and say, God, I, I repent of these things. I'm turning from these things. I'm running to you. I'm dependent upon you today for them. So God, we pray that, that you would do these things. God, I pray that, um, that you would make us godly men, godly women, 
for our ladies, that they would be in the line of Sarah like we talked about last week. And for our men, that they would look like Jesus. They would display Jesus, that, that this covenant love that Jesus has with his church would be evident in their marriages. So God, I beg you to do that. I know that words don't accomplish those things. Sermons don't accomplish those things. You accomplish them. So God, I give you all of those hopes and dreams. I pray that you would do it for us. It's in your good name we pray, amen.